Stark, we got him. Banner? Just like you said. Then tell him to suit up. I'm bringing the party to you. I, I don't see how that's a party. Dr. Banner. Now might be a really good time for you to get angry. That's my secret, Captain. I'm always angry. Anybody feel that way this week after watching two playoff games last Sunday? I'm always angry, right? And, and I, that, that's kind of how it's felt this week. Um, what an emotion crush. Uh, that's how I describe it, just an emotion crush. And for my house, I mean, not only to see the Chiefs go down, but then for the Saints to go down, and the whole hype over all the missed call kind of stuff, right? My, my wife told me, um, she said, you, you do know that the NFL can fix that whole issue of referee missed call thing. And I said, what do you mean? She said, all they got to do is hire all women referees <laughs> because they notice everything. She said, but you're just going to have to deal with it when they throw a flag over something that actually happened three weeks ago. And I said, I think the Saints can deal with that right now. They would, they would actually take that. Hey, I want to welcome you today to week four of Superpowers, a little series that we're walking through that examines the superpower that is at work in every real follower of Jesus. I'm going to move this on this side so you can actually see what we got going on here. We're going to start with Galatians chapter 5, which is... Uh, the text that, that we anchor in every single week. This is the basis for this series, and here's how it reads. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The reason we're studying superpower is because there is a source of superpower. It is the Spirit. That's what Galatians chapter 5 tells us. The Spirit is God himself. Not just a force, not an it. He is personal, and he dwells in the lives of every person who belongs to Jesus. Every person who is a part of God's household. And his presence means super power. And today, we have arrived at the superpower of patience. Patience. Now, I think when we hear the word patience, we tend to think immediately unwanted waiting, right? When we hear the word patience, it is immediately this, this unwanted testing from traffic lights to toddlers. Lord, give me patience, and I need it now. Right? That, that is kind of the view that, that I think we typically have when we hear this word patience. And so I want to start by just giving you some, some uh, really inside info on a couple of words that the New Testament gives us 
that is usually translated patience in the English language is the way that we translate it into English. So, uh, let me just give you a couple. Here's, here's what I'm talking about. Hypomone, that's the Greek word. Hypomone. Hippo, under. Moneo, remain. Right? So, you put those together, and you have the, the idea of to remain under difficult circumstances. That's its use. When you can't avoid them, when you can't escape them, but you find yourself in difficult circumstances, this superpower to remain under those circumstances. But there is another word. And the second word is macrothumia. Macros, long, thumos, think fierceness, wrath. We would translate that temper. Temper. And so when you put that together, you've got a long temper versus a short temper. All right? And so the, the, the long temper idea, that, that picture of, of patience, that, that idea of remaining in a state of, of emotional quietness, emotional calmness in the face of, of unfavorable circumstances. When I, when I see this word, I think of uh, explosiveness with a long fuse. There is a long fuse before there is a response to what is taking place. This is the word that is in in, uh, Galatians chapter 5. This is the word in Galatians chapter 5 verse 22 when it says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. It is this word. It it is this macrothumos, this long temper. Now, a part of what I want you to see is that when we come to the biblical word patience, there is really not just one English synonym that sums all that up. It's not. It is to abide under. It is a steadfastness. It is a consistency, a staying power to to tolerate, to, to persevere, slow to anger. All those words, really, there's no one synonym that sums up patience. But both of these words are very similar in that the overarching idea is this power to endure, a power for patience. The way I like to describe it is that I see patience like a bridge. Patience is like a bridge that connects doing the will of God and receiving the promises of God. Here's what God tells me, that that here's how I'm to walk it out. Here's what I am to be doing. But God also promises there there is reward to come. There is something that is promised that, that will be recognized. Patience is that power to continue to walk out what I am supposed to do, knowing that those promises are coming. One one of my favorite stories about patience is a little snail who is beginning to start to climb the tree. A snail, you know, little little slow inching snail. He's starting to climb the tree. 
And as he's starting to climb the tree, a, a worm sticks his head out from the tree, and he says, man, don't, don't worry about climbing this tree because there's no apples up there. And the snail says, by the time I get there, there will be. <laughs> I love that. I, 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 that is the image for me that when the Bible talks about patience, that, that, that picture of endurance. Here's where I want to take you today. And maybe it's not exactly where you would expect. I, I want to take you today to really just zero in on God's supernatural patience. That's where I want to take you today. Now, this power, this spirit that is within you, working patience in your life, that is real. He is working this patience in you, that, that there should be this power. But, but let's not move past this is God's supernatural patience, which should immediately send all of us to our knees saying, God, thank you for being patient with me. God, thank you for being patient with me when I messed up. God, thank you for being patient with me when I have made mistakes, which, let me translate, sometimes means I have blatantly said no to you, God, in order to do my own thing. But your supernatural patience when I study Galatians 5, verse 22, and I read about his spirit at work in me and his spirit that wants to produce such power, I immediately recognize the gap that exists. Come on, anybody else recognize the gap that exists between where you are and where apparently God wants this to be? The gap between where my patience is now versus apparently what God wants to develop in me. I mean, every week we've seen it. Love, joy, peace, patience. It's not gonna, it's, there's this gap. There's a gap between where I know my life to be right now versus what he is describing to me of what is made possible by the work of his spirit in me. And here's what I want to encourage you with today. No matter how wide the gap, no matter how wide the gap, no matter how far away you may seem to be, a gap between what your character is now in, in light of what God says he wants it to be. A, a gap between what your goals are now in, in light of what God says they are supposed to be. A gap in terms of legacy. What you are living right now versus what God says he has called you to. No matter how far off the mark you are, no matter how wide the gap, God has enough Patience to grow you. God's got enough patience to grow you. 
Now, I, I don't know if you have noticed this yet or not, but sometimes friends don't have enough patience. And sometimes spouses don't have enough patience. Sometimes parents don't have enough patience when there is a gap between where we are and where we need to be. But what I'm asking you to think about today is that God is in it for the long haul with you. Now you say you know that, but we're going to see. You, you say you know that, but, but, but we're, we're going to see. Patience is a funny thing to me because there are some of you in this room who are really, really, really patient when it comes to the big life circumstances that just everybody else looks at it and they go, well, that isn't fair. That is not a fair deal that they just got. And yet you have this ability to, to patiently endure those long things, but when it comes to sitting in traffic, you are a nightmare. And then there are others of us where it's like traffic doesn't bother you and toddlers don't bother you and nothing else seems to bother you. You're just easy, calm, going. you roll with the flow. But as soon as the big stuff of life that is unfair hits you and you realize we are in this for the long haul, you just kind of come unglued. It's weird to me. All the different angles of short-term and long-term patient. But here's what we know. Patience has to be honed. Right? Patience has to be honed. It is developed. And so what we know is that God puts us in situations where such can happen. Right? Like sometimes a marriage. Right? And lots of times you end up married to a person who is exactly the opposite of you in this regard. What I mean by it is something, something needs to be decided and you are the kind of person that 10 minutes into the issue, you've made a decision. But you are married to someone who has to pray about it and fast about it. Right? They got to seek wise counsel about it. And four days later, they make a decision. And it's the same decision that you made 10 minutes into the process. <laughs> but the point is, God will put us in situations where he hones that patience. Maybe it's in that work scenario that you're in where that person is like sandpaper <laughs> to your patience. Or it's the child that asks again and again and again. And you have, you have given them an answer and you have threatened the consequences if they, if they ask you again and they, they just keep on asking. Here's my point. Because patience is something we have to work on, I think lots of times we just transfer that and we think God has to work on it too. Because it's something that's difficult for us, God, it must be, there must be moments when it's difficult for God. 
Because we are easily irritated, then God must be the same way. Because, because I am impatient, then I think God must be the same. And so here's, here's the problem with that. When all of a sudden you find yourself in that circumstance that you need answers from him. God, I need an answer on this deal. We need some direction. I need some clarity. And you're not getting it yet. Well, it must be because God is fed up with me just like I have been inclined to be toward other people. And I want you to know today that God's patience does not need to be honed. It does not need to be developed. It does not need to be trained. You cannot wear God out. Can I say that again? You cannot wear God out. God doesn't need a good nap in order to deal with you. His patience is full. His patience is complete. Everything you need, God already is. And so I'm speaking today to those of you who recognize the gap. There is a gap between your character and where it needs to be. A gap in your marriage between where it is and where God wants it to be. A gap in your leadership where it is and where it needs to be. A gap in your legacy where it is where he wants it to be. And I want you to realize that God is committed to staying with you. A friend may not have, a spouse may not have, but God is. The Apostle Paul has a young man that he cares about very much in Scripture. His name is Timothy. Timothy is Literally, it's just under Paul's wing. Paul sees him like a son. And there are letters in the Bible that Paul is writing to him. He's wanting Timothy to, to gain as much as he can in terms of knowing the truth of, 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 of who God is and how he operates. And I find it interesting how Paul starts the first chapter of a letter that we call First Timothy. I want you to see what Paul wants to make sure Timothy knows. So 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 16, here's how it reads. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience. We'll come back to it. As an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. He says, Timothy, I, I want you to know. I, I want you to know what is, what has happened in my life that is anchored in this factor. It is the immense patience of God. You translate that word a bit, it's like we don't use the word immense a whole lot of the time. A lot of translations, it'll be complete. That's the word that's used. It is some word to say this is all. It, it is whole. It is complete. There is nothing lacking. There is nothing of imperfection. There is no escaping it. When, when you and I walk out patience, 
And, and if you said, if somebody were to get way out to the very edge of your patience, they, they are walking on thin ice, right? You, you get out to the very edges of your patience, man, there are imperfections. You are, you are treading on dangerous territory. But I'm telling you that, that if you could tread out to the most extreme outer edge to the patience of God, you will find it to be the same thickness in foundation that you saw when you took the very first step. There is no weakness with him. There is no imperfection in his patience. And Paul says, if you're not sure about this, just look at me. He says, look at me, the worst of sinners. He says, Timothy, you haven't done anything that I haven't done. You have not dug a pit as deep as I had dug in my life. And Timothy, if God could reach in and pull me out, then God has got you covered. Timothy, when I look in the mirror, this is what I am reminded of. It is the immense patience of God, the complete patience of God. Now, I love the fact that Paul, although he's going to give us a few details in a minute, he doesn't give us this exhaustive, long list of what makes him the worst of all sinners. He doesn't. And I'm glad he doesn't, because if he did, you know what you and I would immediately do? Compare. That's what we would do. We would stack up Paul's list, and then we'd stack up our list, and we'd start drawing lines and, and see how we compare. And I think that's exactly why he didn't give a big exhaustive list. He's going to give us a few here in a minute, but, but he's just saying, look, th this is me. We don't need to compare to him. We got our own. Anybody in this room ever been delivered from anything? I mean, any, any mess, any mistakes, any junk in your, anything that we've been delivered in, and we go, absolutely, we have been delivered from such. Paul is not the only person who demonstrates the patience of God. So am I. And so are you. And the fact that God, we look back and realize he has always been calling and always drawing us. The fact that we would even be here today to learn and celebrate his presence. Right, Jeremiah reminds us that these kind of moments today that, that you might have thought is kind of insignificant. You got up this morning and you're kind of deciding, oh, is there too much frost on the ground or is there not? Is it too cold? Is it? But, but here we are and, and Jeremiah reminds us this was on the schedule before the foundations of the earth. A, a divine setup that you and I were meant to be here. Because of the immense patience of a God who is always pursuing and always calling, always drawing. I, I want you to notice that he starts this verse, but for that very reason. Now, when I read a verse like that and I hear for that very reason, immediately in my mind, I'm like, okay, what's the reason? That's what's the, what's the why here? What, what, is, what is the reason? 
that Paul says, I'm shown mercy, and here, here's what's been displayed. Here's what I can tell you about my life. Well, the reason that we're going to read, it is simple, but it is the most powerful reason in the world. And it is such a big deal that we wrestle with it today. It is such a big deal that we are reminded with it today. Because some of you, you're at this place with God right now where if you could really be transparent with people, the way you would describe it is, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, I kind of feel like I'm on, I'm walking on eggshells with God. I kind of feel like I'm walking on eggshells with God. Because it feels like, man, if I mess up one more time, if, if I make one more mistake, if I, if, I, if I goof this up one more time, there's just a part of me of when is God going to say, I'm done with you? I'm done with you. I mean, I know that I've trusted him, but I, I just, I, I, I keep messing this thing up, and I, I, I'm just afraid. Well, here's the reason that Paul says you need to know. Verse 15, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. He says, you want, you want to know what the reason is? Well, you back up to verse 15, and here's the reason. For this reason, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. So here's the question. Does God have enough patience? I mean, really, for somebody like me, does God have enough patience? And here is the way Paul paints it. He says, look. If he had enough patience to make sure that you could be in relationship with him, if he had enough patience to come into this world to save sinners like me, Paul says, then listen, he's got your life covered. If he would go that far, if he had such immense patience to do that, to save you, then he's got your life covered. You ever, I mean, don't you ever just think about the fact that back in that garden, God creates Adam and Eve, they sin. He could have fixed all that really quickly. Like, just done. Like, I made you, but you messed up, and so just done. He could have fixed all that in an instant. But we see this picture of a complete, immense patience of a God who acts on our behalf, and he woos us, he draws us. Even when we were not looking for him, he was reaching for us. 
So it is not by chance that you are here. It is not by chance that God has miraculously positioned you in this time. (laughs) You may have been a surprise to your mama and daddy, but you have never been a surprise to God. Think about like the literal part of like how your family line and you being here. I mean, you think about all that. Your great great grandfather, and he just so happens out of the billions of women on the planet to meet your great great grandmother. Just so happens, and together. They have your great-grandfather, and then your great-grandfather out of the billions of ladies on the planet just happens to meet your great-grandmother, and they have your grandfather, and then your grandfather out of the billions of ladies on the planet just happens to meet your grandmother, and together they have your father, and then your father out out of the billions of ladies on the planet just happens to meet your mom. And then I'm, a, I'm just going to talk in code language here. Out of the millions of little swimmers that need to find their way, that the one, and you were born. I mean, you look back on that kind of stuff, and it's just, there is a miraculous aspect to all of that. And then Paul says, though, how much more of a miracle that you were born again. How much more of God's supernatural activity is connected to the fact that you were born again because from the beginning there's been a war for your soul. From the beginning, there's been a battle for, you, for your soul. And do you understand what God has done for you? I brought my Price Chopper bag today. Bring some stuff with me. I didn't get these at Price Chopper. I thought about, these are chess pieces. Little chess pieces. Y'all play chess? Who plays chess? Okay. I don't play chess yet. I'm going to learn how to play chess, but I don't play chess yet. So what I'm about to do, do not let my lack of playing chess totally let you miss the point of what's about to happen. All right? Can we just say that? Sometimes y'all miss the big point because you're so wrapped up in the little pieces. All right? I actually was going to do a life-size piece. I was trying to figure out how to do a life-size chess piece, and I'm like, nah, because they'll miss the point. They'll miss the point. It'll be like, oh, that's a cool life size. It's like, well, what was the point? I don't know, but that was a cool life-size chess piece, all right? So I got these two little chess pieces. We, we got a couple of kings here, and we're going to imagine a chess match, okay? We're going to imagine a chess pat- match that, that takes place in the heavenlies that is connected to the battle for your soul. And I want you to see how far God has gone. 
God makes the first move. He creates Adam and Eve. Perfect relationship. Perfect. Perfect, perfect environment, perfect circumstances, perfect relationship with him. God makes the first move. But an enemy makes a move too. He slithers into the garden. And the next thing you know, sin has slithered into the, the hearts of mankind to the point that brother kills brother. And all of a sudden, we realize no more perfect environment. And it looks like an enemy has won. But no. Our God makes another move. Adam and Eve come together again. They give birth to a baby named Seth. Seth has a son named Enosh. And in Genesis chapter 4, it says that Enosh's birth marks a time when God's people, they, they worship God again. But the enemy makes another move. Sin is always his play. And this time, it's across the whole earth to the point that God says, this is so sinful, it must be destroyed. And again, it looks like the enemy has won. But God's not out of moves. There's a man named Noah who, whose heart like God's, God says, Noah, I want you to build an ark, right? And, and Noah says, build a what? And he gives them the dimensions and he tells him what to do. And Noah obeys and mankind is preserved. But the enemy moves again. Again, causing sin to proliferate across the whole earth. It seeping into the hearts of, of mankind. And again, it looks like the enemy has won. And so what happens? God makes another move. This time to a town called Ur where he selects this guy named Abram. He changes his name, changes his purpose. He says, I'm going to send you to a brand new place, and I'm going to raise up from you a, a brand new people, and Israel, my people, will be marked by my name and my power and my favor. But the enemy makes another move, causing God's people who eventually end up in Egypt where they are enslaved for 400 years and it looks like the enemy has won. But God makes another move. A baby named Moses, raised as the prince of Egypt at the right time, sent to Pharaoh to say, let my people go. And after 10 miraculous plagues and 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, God's people finally arrive at the land that was promised to them. And you know, the enemy makes another move causing God's people to turn their back on God, worshiping idols. And the last line in the book of Judges is that everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And it looks like the enemy has won. But God makes another move. This time, 
It's a young Moabite girl named Ruth. Her, her life in the midst of tragedy, but, but at the right time, she meets a kinsman redeemer. His name was Boaz, and they gave birth to Obed, and Obed gave birth to Jesse, and, and Jesse has a baby boy named David, and with that one little move, the enemy doesn't even know it, but the checkmate is already on the way. And by the time the Old Testament closes, it is 400 years of silence. God on one side, an enemy on the other. And who is going to make the next move? The one who made the first move will be the one who makes the last move. And it is the move that the enemy to this day does not have a response for. And that move was Jesus. It is as though God said, enough of this back and forth. I'm going to come down there and take care of this myself. He puts on skin, he steps into the neighborhood, takes our sin upon himself, dies upon a cross, but then there is a tomb that three days later he walks out of. And what Paul is trying to show us here is, come on, he did all that for your soul. He did all that for my soul. And so when I'm wrestling with the question, does God have enough patience for a guy like me? Does God have enough patience for someone like you? Are you kidding me? If you are wondering if God has enough patience to deal with what has happened in the last six days of your life, or six weeks of your life, or six months of your life, or six years of your life, when you are wondering if God, does he really still want me? Does God really still desire to use me for a great purpose that my life life can truly find meaning? The answer is, if he can handle the last few millennia making sure that you could be connected to him, he's got your life. He's got you. If he would spend all of that time continuing to make moves, continuing to draw you, continuing to love you, even when you weren't looking for him, he's got you. But that's not it all. Go back to verse 13, a little further back. And here's what Paul tells us. Even though I was once a blasphemer, and a persecutor and a violent man. I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. So all of a sudden, we got a little list. We're like, okay, Paul's, Paul's like giving us a little list. But it's almost as though Paul is saying, here's my resume. Here's a little bit of my resume. I'm not giving you the whole deal, but here's a little bit of my resume. But before I release my resume, I want to make sure that the right title is at the top of this resume. And this is what needs to be the headline of my resume. Was once. Was once. Is I a blasphemer, persecutor, violent man? For those of you who don't know, Paul, Paul even persecuted the people who put their trust in Jesus. He said, but I want to make sure that my resume reads clearly, once was. Let, let me... 
let me, let me translate who I used to be, not who I am anymore. In other words, it is this picture of not only a God who saves you, but it is a picture of a God who changes you. There is an issue of what the Bible calls justification. All right? Justification is when God declares that someone is righteous in his sight. God declares that you are right in his sight. It is literally that, that he credits you with the righteousness of Jesus. That's how it happens. You're like, well, that's not fair. No, it's not fair. Thank goodness for us, right? How does it happen? It happens by grace. It's a gift. There is no way that you and I can be righteous enough. But he, he imputes, he, he gives us the righteousness of Jesus, and he declares us right in his sight. That is justification. It is a one-time event that changes your forever. But along with that, is what the Bible calls sanctification. It's a big old word, but what it really, what it means is this continual process of making us to be more like Jesus. So when I'm reading Galatians chapter 5 and his spirit is in me to produce love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self I'm going, whoa, 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 that, that, that looks like Jesus. And he's going, yeah, that's, that's what I'm doing in you. It is this progressive conformity of the one who has been made right in his sight that through the work of the Spirit, he is growing us. He is changing us. And just like justification, sanctification only happens by grace through faith. So I'm declared righteous, which means positionally I'm good with God. But what I know is that practically, I still got some gaps to close, right? Positionally, I'm good. He says, I'm righteous. Not because I'm, I, I've done it, but because Jesus has done it. And, and he gives me that righteousness. He says, that this, you, you are good, Jeff. You, you're good with me. But I know practically, my patience is not where it needs to be. There's some supernatural work of patience that needs to be worked. I, practically, I still got a gap that needs to close. And this gradual process of what the Spirit does in us, listen to me, other people will not always stay with you through the change. Sometimes they'll give up on you. Sometimes friends will lose patience with you through the change. Sometimes spouses will lose patience through the change. But God is with you through the change. Here's how it reads in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, but we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through. You ready? Here's our word, the sanctifying work of who? The Spirit. And through belief in the truth. I want you to know this is the Spirit's job description. This is a, this is a part of what he does. It is changing you and I from the inside out. Trying to change from the outside is exhausting. It is exhausting. The truth is, it's impossible 
But this is an inside job. This is supernatural power. I've always heard this, this little imagery, which I like. Y'all like popcorn? Y'all like popcorn? When you got nothing else, right? You like popcorn? It's kind of you like. Know, you know how popcorn happens? You're like, yeah, you put it in the microwave, right? Beep, 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 and it, and it just happens. I know, but how it happens is, is kind of cool. How, how it happens is that you got this tiny droplet of water. Right? Inside every kernel is this tiny droplet of water that is surrounded by a hard shell called a hull. And as you heat that corn, that water, that tiny water droplet begins to form steam. And that steam is building pressure inside that kernel. And when that hull can no longer contain that pressure anymore, pop! And suddenly that yellow or brown, right, kernel explodes and becomes this fluffy white snack. The corn looks different on the outside, but it was only because you heated it from the inside. When you think of the Spirit's work in your life, that's what I want you to think of. That, that's what he's doing. His, he's, his, the pressure, the, the, what he is doing within you, pressing against the shell of your life, it is this process that he will not let you go. He will, he will, he will not turn you loose, and, and then eventually... you will look different than you used to. But you don't look different than you used to because you've worked really hard. You look different than you used to because of his work in you. And you wonder if God has enough patience. Aren't you glad that the message is not this morning, hey, you need to be more patient. That's what some of y'all expected. It's like, oh, it's the P day. It's the patient, it's the patient word. You need to be more patient, right? Is it you need to be more patient? That could be the message. You need to be more patient. Come on, you know you need to be more patient. Everybody is messing up when it comes to patience. You better develop patience if you want God to accept you. Thank goodness. The message is instead, there is a God who is perfectly patient. For many of us in this room, he has saved us. And he is changing us. And if nobody else hangs on with you through the change, he will. It is no wonder that it's as though Paul paused in that little letter to Timothy. And after he speaks on the immense patience of God, and I almost imagine as Paul is writing those things down, perhaps there are moments when he, he, he puts that pen down and he's just overwhelmed by what he is remembering of the patience of God in his life. It takes him here, verse 17. Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. It's as though Paul puts his pen down and he begins to shout and he begins to sing.
because he is reminded in the patience of a God that means he will never let Paul go. He won't us either. I think we should do the same thing. We'll put the pins down and it's time to praise him. A God who really does love you and I. A God who really has been patient with us. A God who really deserves to be praised. I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing for a little while. We're just going to praise him today. I want to encourage you, lift your voice to him. There are some of you in the room that the first move you need to make though is things have never actually been declared right between you and God. You know about him, but you don't know him. And today I want to encourage you to take that step. There are going to be some folks on the side of the room, back of the room, some folks available that they would be honored to pray with you just that you could know you settled today. There is a moment where God declares that you are right with him. But then, I don't know, I got a feeling there's a number of us in this room that we regularly approach God like we're having to walk on eggshells because we just don't know if we're good enough and we don't know if we're doing enough. And I'm telling you, there is a much more powerful way to walk this out with God. There is a difference in trying to do what you're doing to still get him to love you versus doing what you're doing because you are immensely loved. I pray today that you see the difference. I pray today that you see him. God, that's what I'm asking today. I'm asking that you would give us eyes that can see, a heart that can believe. I don't know. I know there are days, there are moments, God, when we really need to be reminded of where we've messed up. That there are, there are, there are so many moments that we need to be called to um, repentance. And today certainly is no different. God, there are some of us today that, um, God, we need to run to you. And just because you are patient doesn't mean you don't discipline. And maybe there are some folks in the room today, folks hearing my voice, that, God, they are in the process of walking in a different direction than you. And your patience means you're not going anywhere, but it may mean that there is discipline on the way. God, I'm asking that you would cause our hearts to turn. God, give us faith to repent. Give us faith to turn. God, I pray for healing today. I pray for just a change in an understanding of how your patience is different than ours. It is complete. It is immense. Jesus, may we see who you really are. And may we respond. It's in that great name that I pray today. Amen. Let's stand. We'll sing together.